Hey everyone, this is a Barclay Damon Live broadcast of the CyberSip, practical talk about cybersecurity. I'm your host, Kevin Sapansky. Let's talk. Hey everyone, welcome back to CyberSip. For 95 years now, Arthur J. Gallagher and Company has provided insurance brokerage, risk management, and business consulting services to organizations across the country. Joining us this morning is Laura Zorowski, Managing Director of Gallagher's Law Firm's Practice. Laura draws on her 16 years of experience as a litigator of DNO, ENO, and professional liability claims, and more than a decade on the inside to help law firms place insurance coverage in an increasingly competitive cyber environment. Laura Zorowski, welcome to CyberSip. Uh, thank you, Kevin. Glad to be here. I'm so excited to have you, and we're going to talk cyber risks facing law firms today. I want to start with the basic question that I don't know about you, but I get from law firms and professionals that ask me, why do I need this? Why, are, why do the bad guys target law firms? Why not the major banks and, and other institutions that have all of the data that everyone's looking for? Why are law firms a target? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, law firms aren't really known for having the state-of-the-art um, security systems. Um, a lot of them are still getting up to speed with what they do need to have in place. Um, I, I don't want to call law firms low-hanging fruit, but sometimes they can be much easier targets than the banking, the financial institutions that seem to have had to address this much earlier. So um, that's one difficult part about being a law firm is they really haven't paid much attention to their security for a while. At least many firms haven't. Um, even the ones that have, you know, there's no foolproof service, you know, foolproof um, system, as you know. So even if you have put in some of the, the best and strongest securities, um, and the bad guys can get in. Half the bad guys wrote them, wrote those programs so they know how to crack those programs. So it's really tough even if you have good security in place. One of the things that I worry about and that I wonder if others worry about are the ethical obligations that come with cybersecurity. And the first and most basic ethical duty here in New York, it's the rules of professional conduct, often modeled on the model rules promulgated by the ABA. And rule 1.1 is competence. That uh, Now, the comments are not binding, but the comments to rule 1.1 essentially say that a lawyer has to be competent in the technology the lawyer uses to practice law. And then Rule 1.4, communication, requires the lawyer to talk to the client about that technology. And one would think that that would be enough of a hook to get every law firm across the country interested in robust cyber hygiene, but that's not always the case. No, um, you know, those rules are definitely out there, and I think it should be a concern for most of practicing lawyers. However, there's, there's not a lot of guidance about exactly what standards meet those rules and which ones don't. So I think lawyers do grapple with that, and, and ones that have basic security think they've met that standard. Um, and, you know, a, a, as the case law grows and maybe more cases are filed, I think we'll have more guidance on really how to meet those standards. And frankly, more concern from attorneys that they want to make sure they're hitting that correct level of security so they're not subject to any disciplinary type action. Right. So meanwhile, law firms are a target. You mentioned 
law firms being low-hanging fruit. What are some of the more common claims scenarios that you are seeing at Gallagher? Mm-hmm. Well, definitely with the firms we work with, um, there's always human error. And, and I throw that out there. Even if you have the most robust systems, you still have to have your employees have access and the people that, that should be having access. Um, and human errors happen. It's as simple as clicking onto the wrong attachment. And we all receive you know, hundreds of attachments a week. Um, if it looks like it comes from the client and it's something important, you're going to click on it. And that's probably the number one way we see some of these viruses being unleashed in systems. Um, certainly claims, you know, the number one thing we're seeing with our law firms are these extortion claims. Um, and we're seeing the demands on those going up um, tremendously. Uh, I, I think uh, one of our carriers said that they've seen a 518% increase in extortion yeah. demands from 2020 um, to 2021 across their book. Um, so that those are staggering numbers and certainly put the fear of God in you, <laughs> which how much money um, a hacker may be uh, asking for from you. Um, business email compromises the same thing as well. Huge increases in how much money um, has been stolen from a lot of our law firms uh, with some of those spoofed emails, um, requests from the managing partner to the accounting person to transfer funds, settlement funds going to the wrong person. Um, all those are, again, terrifying when you know something's gone out the door. Uh, it's not coming back, but yet you still owe those settlement funds to the appropriate party. Right. So really tough stuff that some of our firms are experiencing. I saw one example of a BEC where the, the associate received an email uh, at about 7.30 in the morning uh, from the partner saying, I really need you to bring some Amazon gift cards into the conference room right away. And there's a law, there's a click and for the information. And of course, that was an easy fraud to detect, and the associate noticed it immediately. But uh, we just had a client that very successfully uh, resolved the issue, but it was a situation where the risk manager received an email, supposedly from the CEO of the company, saying, I need a complete rundown of all of our accounts receivables because I want to work on those this weekend. And very dutifully, the risk manager provided a 95-page single-space listing of all every client of the firm with the AR history, and it turned out to be a threat actor. Uh, so the, the, the bad guys are getting better at figuring out what causes one to click, and it just it seems to me like the risk is becoming uh, more significant, particularly when you have so many people working remotely. Mm-hmm. Well, definitely the bad guys um, are more sophisticated and these attacks are more complex. I think, you know, the days of thinking that there's a hacker in his mom's basement with bunny slippers, th- those, those days are over. Um, right. Now you've got sophisticated businesses overseas where, you know, they have meetings just like we do. You know, what worked this week? What isn't working? What extra thing did you do that produced the response you wanted? Um, layering of of these um, complex crimes. You know, they'll follow up with a phone call to you after sending an email. And they'll say on the phone call, you can never be too careful. There's a lot of bad actors out there. I mean, they do this over and over again until they get a certain story that works best. So um, very sophisticated, hard to detect, and getting even harder. So um, that's where the aspect of training really comes in. 
You know, when you hear these types of stories that we're talking about now, when someone asks you for those gift cards, you think, well, hold on a second. <laughs> I heard there were scams where people had to buy gift cards. Right. You know, the, the awareness, I think, is key right now. No, definitely. And I think, I think we're getting better at training, but as you say, the threat actors are getting more sophisticated as well. So we can talk a little bit about cyber hygiene when we talk about uh, insurance applications, but let's suppose... Laura, that I am the risk manager or the managing partner of a mid-sized law firm, 80 to 120 lawyers, and I come to you because I would like to begin the process of placing cyber insurance. Can you walk us through how that process works? Is there an application? What besides the application is necessary? Is there any auditing of the firm's uh, physical, electronic, or legal controls? Walk us through that. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd say in the old days, it, it, I used to call it, it's like that old show, Name This Tune. We had carriers that would right. ask 30 questions. Then somebody's like, I can do it in 20. I can do it in 10. We, we got to the point a few years ago where people wanted market share so badly that we, we had carriers asking four questions. And, and that was the good old days because four questions, you got your cyber quote, you're off to the races. Mm-hmm. Um, that has drastically changed over the last year with all these ransomware attacks, with all the payments that have been made, the business email compromise, um, we've seen a huge onslaught of claims. So carriers have abruptly changed their underwriting in the way that they're evaluating accounts. So now you're more likely to see that 20 page application. And what are the carriers looking for in that application? Now they really wanna understand what controls you do have in place. And they know what they've seen over their book in the last two years. These are the most common ways they're getting in. So they wanna make sure that you've stopped those pathways for the bad guys. Um, The key thing we've seen is this multi-factor authentication. Um, Carriers have pretty much put their foot down and said, if you don't have MFA in place, we're not even considering you. So when I sit down with a client, the first thing we do is we're gonna go through the application together. If you don't have multi-factor in place, we're going to stop right there and have you put it in place because we're not going to get a single quote for you without it. Right. Um, they're definitely going to ask about patch management. How often do you patch? When do you patch? How quickly? So when those vulnerabilities are discovered, are you taking care of that before somebody can get in before you get it fixed? Um, endpoint detection, looking for that for all the endpoints, all your computers and all the end networks you have. Um, backups is another great question. Um, and they don't want to see just one backup. They want to see multiple versions and different versions. You know, do you have a backup online? Do you have a backup where you take it offline on a disk? Um, do you have MFA on those disks? Um, have you air gapped it where you've got one saved here and one saved there? Cause they've definitely seen claims where when the backups were infected or they didn't have appropriate backups, then there's no way to restore your system. Um, and trying to create it from scratch certainly is <laughs> almost an insurmountable chore. So sure. that's kind of what we're seeing right now from, from the carriers. Um, training, 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 as we already touched on. Um, keeping all your people. I mean, people are your biggest vulnerability. Um, so, sh- you know, every three, six months, if you can let them know what are the, the new scams we're seeing, what are the new ways they're trying to get in. Once you kind of have that awareness, uh, I think that really helps your workforce be a little bit more keen and um, to spot these before it becomes a problem. Thinking about the notion of competence, I mean, I remember when 
I thought MFA was a login and a password. I mean, and that's part of it is the, what, what do we really know about some of these safeguards? I think a lot of people out there think, I I had a conversation a few months ago with someone, not, not at Barclay Damon, but um, at a client. And I said, well, do you have MFA? And he said, oh yes, we have a login and a password for every single person. I said, yeah, that's not MFA. So I mean, that's part of the, the education and training. The, the folks who are running the organization really need to understand what these safeguards are and what they require. Uh, because if you don't know that, you can't answer the question whether you've effectively implemented them. Sure. And, and the thing about lawyers, I mean, they're very good at what they do and they work really hard. But it's, it's definitely a career that doesn't involve any IT whatsoever. So we see a huge gap between, like when I deal with legal malpractice, lawyers all understand legal malpractice. We start talking about cyber and asking these questions. Everyone stops and says, no, no, we got to call the tech guy in here. And we've definitely seen now where carriers are looking for and we're trying to get our law firms to understand this isn't going to be a top-down culture of understanding and dealing with security, really understanding what MFA is. Even if you're a lawyer, you still need to start understanding some more of the tech side of how things work and what you need to do uh, to be competent in, in protecting the information you hold for your clients, the information you hold on your employees. So um, I think right. we're slowly seeing that change. Um, but, the, but, but that's a big struggle for a lot of lawyers where there's just this isn't their area of practice. And frankly, it's something they're not that interested in. But I think we've all kind of gone kicking and screaming into 2022 in, in many aspects. So I think I think this cybersecurity and remote working is, is one of them. So, Laura, you mentioned the, the application process. I'm curious, have you ever had a situation where you are in the midst of the application process and you turn to your client and you say, you know what, I don't think it makes sense for us. I think you alluded to it earlier when you're talking about MFA. How common is it for you to be meeting with a client, working on the application, and reaching the conclusion that it just doesn't make sense to even send that risk out into the market because the client's safeguards are not yet up to snuff? Yeah, definitely. Um, We've had that situation. But again, we'll know really the, the safeguards that you don't have implemented right now and get you working on those before we're going to take you out to market. Because that's going to make a huge difference when you go out to market on whether anyone's going to write you, first of all. And if they are going to write you, what coverage are they going to offer to you? And certainly the most important thing, price, right? Um, you know, you could be paying three times more because you don't have certain security in place. Right. Where, you know, some of these things can be done within a week or two. Um, some of them are just getting a system, you know, enabling certain systems you've had you just didn't want to use because it's that extra step. So many of these are kind of, I won't say quick fixes, but can be done pretty expediently. And then we can get you in a much better place to get much more carriers interested in writing you and writing you with the best terms and the best pricing. So you're in that situation where maybe the, the, the client is in great shape or maybe the client has some deficits and you spend a few weeks or a few months fixing those deficits, getting the client's application ready to send out into the marketplace. What happens next? How do you decide for which you know which carriers to go to for which clients? Well, each carrier definitely has their own appetite. 
there are some carriers that won't write law firms at all. Um, there's carriers that want really large law firms. There's carriers that only want to deal in a small space. Um, sometimes area of practice can make a difference uh, and even geographical regions. So um, it's just knowing your markets, knowing who to go to and who's going to write it, um, your profile, you know, and that's the broker's job. That's what we're supposed to do is know the right place and who's going to be most competitive for your account. Right. Now, Laura, I see we are close to running out of time, but I want to continue this conversation. Will you come back to us and talk to us about the process of engagement between Gallagher and the carriers, how the policy gets issued, and then your recommendations for law firms? Happy to do so, Kevin. Well, I am grateful and so glad you could join us today. Thank you very much. And uh, thanks to all of you for joining us. We'll be back soon with another episode of CypressIP. Stay tuned. The CypressIP podcast is available on BarclayDamon.com, YouTube, LinkedIn, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Like, follow, share, and continue to listen. This material is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal advice or a legal opinion. No attorney-client relationship has been established or implied. Thanks for listening.